All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. We have a great show today. We have an extra special session with Rev Mike Foyer, and that's going to be all about getting your head around the Rosh, which is getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. That's a pun because head and Rosh mean the same thing, right? Uh, and we also have Dr. Michael Oren or Ambassador Oren uh, with me in Hebron. That was a great discussion and very interesting. And right now we have a little bit of Malka Fleischer. Malka, shalom and welcome to the show. Shalom. It's nice to be here. Yeah. It's you nice know, to be alive. Yeah, it's nice to be alive. And also I want to say big mazel tov to all the moms and dads who sent their little tykes off to school for the first day of school today. That I saw in the news that some 2,500,000 Israeli children went to school today, but 250,000 kids did not because they are in bidud. We have learned this word over the course of the last year and a half. If you don't remember, bidud means isolation. Before school started, first of all, families that traveled abroad were obligated to get coronavirus tests on the way home. Some people turned out had coronavirus. They had to go into quarantine and all kinds of different exposures to COVID got people into quarantine. But also they did this program where they handed out rapid, it's like a rapid strep test, except it's a rapid coronavirus test. And they handed them out and they asked parents, they sort of insinuated that it was obligatory, but it was not obligatory, asking parents to test their kids before school um, and that if kids would come positive, come out positive in the test to please not send their kids to school, but rather to go for like a formal, you know, nose and, and mouth culture at the, the uh, medical facilities here. So uh, thank the Lord God of heaven and earth. Our kids were not positive for coronavirus. And so all of our kids got to go to their first day of school. We have an eighth grader now, a fifth grader, and a first grader. Now, I was starting to feel, I think like a lot of moms in my position, were starting to feel a little bit nervous. You know, the first day of first grade is like a beautiful little thing. It's like a little holy little moment in time when your child like starts off on his journey toward, um, you know, proper education at a real big boy or girl school. And I was over the last course of the last few months, I was nervous that something would come to thwart our beautiful little precious moment, including all kinds of things. Like we went to on a trip to America and I was nervous that what would happen if we became in contact with somebody who had COVID and that person would send us into isolation or what happened if we caught COVID and got sent into isolation uh, or what would happen even more likely that somebody that the government would decide that kids aren't going back to school or that kids are going back to school on on Zoom or that kids are going back to school but the parents can't come on campus at all you know you just drop your kid and leave them and you can't you know have your your beautiful you know I'm in first grade picture and and give them a hug and a kiss and wish them well on their first day of school and uh, I have to say that this today dropping my first grader off for his first day of first grade was one of the most normal feeling days in Israel that I've had in a long time in the best, best way. Um, our son was able to go to school. Yes, he was wearing a mask, but he was able to go to school and they set up a little 
uh, display where it said like, hello, first grade, shalom, kita Aleph, and you could take your kid's picture. And we were able to walk onto the campus and escort our child to their classroom and say hello to the teacher. And, you know, they had their little backpacks and their little t-shirt and just, it was a nice day. It was a really nice day. And all the kids came back and all of them had to wear masks at school, every single one of them. But they all had like, you know, normal things to talk about, that their teacher was nice or that they saw a friend they hadn't seen or they had a new kid in class. There were a lot of olim. Um, there were a lot of new immigrants to the land of Israel uh, reported to be in school uh, this time. And uh, in fact, our first grader was kind of picked by the teacher to translate for another kid who just made Aliyah, who only speaks English. So my six-year-old six-year-old is serving as a translator in his first grade class for a little boy who does not yet speak English and what's what must speak Hebrew. And what's amazing is that his older brother, who is now in fifth grade, did the exact same thing when he was in first grade, translating for a boy who's now his good friend who does now speak Hebrew after uh, many years in Israeli school. Um, but he spoke no Hebrew at all, and our son Elazar was uh, was his translator. So it was just so enjoyable for me to have the kids come home from school today and just tell me all about their day, and just everything sounded like life, you know what I mean? And there was just no, like the weight seemed to be off for a second, you know, the weight of the concern about all the regulations or getting sick or anything like that, it just... It felt like good, beautiful, sunshiny, normal, Israeli, healthy life. I feel very bad for parents I know who weren't able to experience that today. In fact, I saw one of my friends on Facebook was saying that they had come back from America and they were waiting for their coronavirus tests and they were expecting it already and it was late. And because their tests were late, all their kids who had all their stuff and they're all ready were not able to go to their Mm -hmm. first day of school. I don't know. To me, there's something like very special about the first day of school. I always loved my first day of school as a kid. I remember that like fresh notebooks and your new backpack. And my parents would get me like, you know, a new shirt or whatever, you know, something just to feel like, you know, you're starting afresh, that feeling of starting fresh and everybody's excited the first day. And I know that there's parents who did not get to do that today and kids who did not get to do that today. And my heart goes out to those people. But If it's like allowed in this day and age to just like celebrate your own personal happinesses for a second. So it was a very happy day for this family, Baruch Hashem. Uh, And you can't take that stuff for granted anymore. Absolutely, Manka. Thank you very much for all that. And we also want to wish you uh, a good preparation and then a good Rosh Hashanah coming right up. Hopefully we'll be in the holy city of Yerushalayim. And I also want everybody in the world to pray for our internet connection because uh, I'm looking at my internet connection and it reminds me of uh, holiday uh, lights because uh, both Christmas and Ramadan lights uh, because because it's just flashing and not giving me my internet. So let's all pray for each other's internet. Let's pray for connectivity and especially to con- connectivity for Shana, for continued life. That's the greatest co- connectivity to serve Hashem. Mark, thanks so much. And I want everybody to stay tuned. I want to wish you Shana Tova and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shana Tova, everybody. We're going to be on... Again, before Rosh Hashanah, no? Uh, how, how do you figure? Well, what are we just going to not say hi to everybody before the new year? This is it, so say hi. Wait, this is it? This is it. So so I just want to bless all of them. I want to bless all you guys. 
I want to bless all of you with health. Health is the most important thing. Okay, but it's true. Health is the most important thing. Hashem should bless you with good health and success and good laughs, good food, celebrations with family and friends, peace in your home, nachat from the kids, which means like satisfaction and pride from the children, and just every good thing in the world. And I really hope that that we'll see you this year in Jerusalem. I know that the, our, our beautiful land has been cut off to so many people who've been missing it so badly. And I just want to send you blessings from Zion for a beautiful and happy new year. Great blessing, Malka. Absolutely. And another blessing is to be together here on the Yishai Fleischer Show. It's a blessing for me to broadcast. It's, uh, I hope, a blessing for you in your life. But if you're listening, it probably is. Uh, so let's get to the next segment. Malka, again, Shabbat Shalom and Shana Tova. And thank you for the blessings. And let's get to Rav Mike Foyer, who joined me uh, today to talk about getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. All right, everybody. Shalom and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. And you are a part of it wherever you are. And I was having some technical difficulties and uh, and I wasn't able to broadcast my regular way, so I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll show you." And I and I'm doing it now through the phone, uh, a broadcast through Facebook with Rev Mike Foyer through the phone and all that kind of stuff because because when they because when they close the doors, we sneak in the windows. Okay, Rev Mike Foyer joins me. Rev Mike Foyer, Shalom. How are you, sir? Oh, Shalom. Ele plaim These are the wonders of the master of the world. Right here we are. No matter what, there's a way to communicate. That's right. Uh, it reminds me of, of one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories of the Baal Shem Tov. And the story goes like this. It's very short, so I could tell right now. One time, the, there was a lady came to the Baal Shem Tov. Actually, it was a couple. And they were crying, and they can't have children. And everybody told them there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. And they, they said, Rebbe, Rebbe, you got to help us. We have to have children. And he looks very still at them, and he thinks, and he closes his eyes, and he meditates, and he says... All the gates of heaven are locked before you. I'm sorry. There's nothing I could do. And they're like, they're like, Revi, come on. You're the Baal Shem Tov. We came to you. Come on. You've got to be able to do something. So he calls over his, his aide and he says, listen, I want you to go get all of the worst thieves, the Jewish criminals in town. Bring me 10 of the worst criminals you could find. That was itself a feat because it's not so easy to find not people who ten, like to be found. Right. And ten, 10 Jewish criminals in a small Polish town, but a Ukrainian town. In any case, I, I don't uh, know if that was true. I think you're being a little bit historically inaccurate, but we'll leave that aside right, for now. Fine. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, they gather these 10 guys before the, the rabbi and the rabbi puts them in a room and he gives every single one of them to him. And he says, just, do me a favor and say this stuff. And they're, they're mumbling that, the, you know, the Rebbe says, the Rebbe says, even if I'm a criminal, I'm still going to listen to the Baal Shem Tov. So, so they're all saying uh, the, the, the Psalms. And after they finish, they all leave. And he says, and he says, good news. Your prayers have been hearkened. Within a year, you're going to have a child. And everybody's like, what? And, and the, the people who got the worst, the most upset were the Baal Shem Tov students. They were like, Rebbe, what, what why didn't you? Yeah, why didn't you ask us? We would have said the Psalms. Why did you bring these despicable folks? What's that all about? Who needs that? 
and he says, um, and he says, sometimes when the the gates of, are closed, you gotta you gotta bring in people who know how to break gates, pick, who know how to pick the locks. Pick, pick the locks. And these folks were that just that kind of Jew that you needed to pick those locks. Well, that's an old Yiddish saying: is that when the door is shut, you go in through the window. That's right. That's so. That's exactly it. Uh, and and as my wife's grandfather used to say, why is it that they can't keep the Jews in jail? Because they eat all the locks. Okay, there you go. Oh, ta -da, ta -da. oh that's uh, okay. That's actually so, terrible. Rav Mike, it's so great to have you with us. And we have with us also uh, my our friend uh, Joanne Bijou George, who says shalom. He says shalom. Uh, Rav Mike and Rabbi Yishai from India. Uh, we have Marilyn, who says Shalom from North Carolina. We have uh, Simon, who says Shalom from Johannesburg. That was three continents right there. Let's just right. look at three continents. That's right. And Tasha says Shalom from Illinois in the USA. And uh, and our producer, Lou Weiss, who was on before helping us get audit, get volume uh, uh, together. Uh, Lou Weiss is with us, says audio and video are good. And that's by itself miraculous. And Dr. Baker gives hearts. And my man, Moshe Herman, who gets the show out to the world, says, hey, guys, that's quite a green wall, Yishai. <laughs> I said the same thing. He's looking very limey, isn't he? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling kind of limey. And because I'm doing it that's through the, the phone. the my phone... refrigerator was in the kitchen that I grew up in. I well, everybody can now say hello to my beautiful green screen. Green screen. That is behind me usually. Uh, I've always wondered friend... what was back there. There you go. And our good friend, uh, Mark. Uh, says shalom from Manchester, which is which is which is England, which is not its own continent, and yet might, it might as well be. Right, it could it could be. Once speaking, it was post Brexit. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk tacos here. All right, it's great to have there's you, on, on, Mike. There's yeah, a there's a lot. The... There's a lot on deck right now, and um, we're we're really we're really uh, in, in in quite a season, which is the return of the of the kids. Of the young people to schools, COVID notwithstanding, my small we, children yeah. self-tested in the house before they went to school today. I did three tests last night. How is it doing pregnancy tests for your children under the age of twelve? <laughs> I mean, did you notice the similarity? I mean, it was essentially like everyone's looking for the line. Is the line on here? Is the line on there? Like... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think of that. Uh, well, of children were involved, my wife but... and I were laughing quite hysterically about it. <laughs> They're like preteen pregnancy tests, right? And and they sent this comic right now uh, um, to to one of the groups that I was on, and it you see these two parents lying down on the couch, and they're like, finally some quiet. And then these two kids run into the house, and they're like, Mom, Dad, we we're we're quarantined. Yeah, we're, we're in bedude. Which which like Shalone Damizeh, but I'm willing to bet that that will come soon. That's right. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's a distinct possibility. Now, uh, I'm going to say, by the way, with everybody's criticism, it's like at a certain point, you just got to try to live. Yeah. I mean, everybody's saying, oh, we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong. Nobody knows. Come on, we're in year two and a plus or whatever it is. I mean, I can't have lost count. It's still March 2020, right? Um, the, the, and, and, and the reality is, is that nobody knows. If with all the scientists and the best guests, but, but there's always a value question. Um, and I really do think that our country has chosen to just move forward. We're trying to move forward. It's not easy. It's it, and it may not even be working, but at least it's a path. I was on the streets today, and I felt very much that the country's alive. That COVID is 
is maybe part of our lives right now, but it's something that we can deal with. And there was just a sense of, okay, let's, you know, it's just like you said right now, it's like, okay, it's part of life, but we're going to keep going. Um, and, and that felt good. It, was, it felt extremely good for me to be in the busy city of Yerushalayim. Just felt great to be out there in the town. And I went to Talpiot and, and hung out where, where, the, where, the, where the artsy people were. And it was just a great feeling to be out there. I'm sorry, I missed you. I was stuck at home. Yeah. First day of yeah, school. I was, I was, I was, I maintenance day. Right. So let's talk about that quickly. Uh, first day of school, I sent my three kids to school. You sent a daughter to a pre-military academy. Well, I sent four kids back to school. And yesterday, I drove up to um, Beichian, uh, to the city in the sort of the head of the Beichian Valley, um, to drop off my daughter at Mechinak Dam Tzvayi, a pre-army academy. Uh, and my oldest, I mean, she just moved out of the house. I mean, she's going to be back. You know the joke in Israel is like, bye, mom and dad, I'm moving out. And they're back next week to do their laundry. But like, you know, it's not that big a country. Nonetheless, her base has shifted. It's a, it's, a, it's a bittersweet moment, you know, as a father. Like, it's, on some level, that's it. We we'll always have a relationship. But in terms of living in my house and attempting to give what I feel that I can give and, and, and build the relationship in that very special way, we're in a new phase. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very interesting moment to be to be a, a parent. Uh, it's like it's like you're like given you're 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 responsible for this for the education of this person. You're really formulating a person for the next person who you hope is going to be a quality person who was also formulated well to get together so that they can get together and 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 and, and make more people. Right, more people that they formulate Although, well. I mean, I would be actually very specific and make more Jews, with right. no disrespect to anyone else. But that's my mission, and uh, and that's why, uh, with all the complications, that uh, you know, the the Mechina program is a mixed men and women, religious and not. Um, but I really feel very strongly that she went and found this place herself. I you know I had nothing to do with it, and and I think that that alone speaks volumes. But. But the, the mission of the institution is to build a stronger fabric of society in which even if people don't agree or even share the same values, they're committed to the same vision of a social fabric. And, and I think that that's a critical mission. Um, I'm uh, the, yes, the, yes. In the, Go ahead, the read, that, read that question. And it says, ahead, uh, how, how did it feel letting my daughter off at a pre-military school? Must have been filled with mixed emotions. Absolutely. First of all, it's just a little bit sad. You know, there was my baby. Um, trust me, she let me stick around for about five minutes. I drove an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes up to Beit Shan. Actually, she drove. She's got her license, right? right. <laughs> so I unloaded the, the, the suitcase. Okay, you leaving? Okay, I'll leave. Bye. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not like uh, college where everybody hangs out. And this is like an Israeli kibbutz-style environment. Very informal. But on, on the other hand, I feel incredibly proud that she chose to spend a year devoted to the values of citizenship and how the religious and the secular can create a common vision of society, of um, you know engaging Rav Cook, Achada'am, and uh, sort of modern social theory, you know, together with people who I mean, as she, and and you know, have to you have to know your kids, and your kids have to know themselves. She's the type of uh, young woman who grow stronger through opposition. I hope very much and 
think it's a reasonable hope that she will come out stronger religiously, more clear politically, through the very fact that she will represent the exception and not the rule in that environment. Uh-huh. Um, and she's a totachit. And right. she's, a, she's a bulldozer of a, of a young woman and not to be messed with. And uh, thank God, the one thing that I can say is that she will call me when she feels like somebody's spouting nonsense at her in order to, to back check and get the fuel and the ammunition to return fire. So, you know, it's a, it's a big Good moment. Stuff. It's a big Good moment. Stuff. Well, uh, that is a big moment. And, and I certainly uh, feel that also raising a, a daughter and my daughter's going to eighth grade. Um, and uh, this is her like big year. Uh, first, Hinda Blass says, "May she strive and be a blessing for Kol Israel, for Kol Israel." Amen. Thank you so much for that. All right, and and Tasha Romano says, "Amen." There you go. And then again, Tasha Romano adds another one and says, "Amen" again. Okay. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, my eighth grade, my 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 big daughter is going into eighth grade, and then I have a son who's going into. Uh, 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 fifth grade, and then another one that's going into first grade. Shalom, Kita so, Aleph. Yeah, Kita Aleph. And you know what? He came home today and he said, This was the one of the best days of my life. He loved it. Uh, he, wow. he happens to uh, uh, be hungry for learning. And so, um, so there you go, you know. And and when you get when you hear that, you're like, Oh my gosh, you're like, you know, that's that's what we're working for in many in many ways. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's funny how how middle class bourgeois values are sometimes the most satisfying, you know. Just I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily call that a middle class bourgeois value. That's a core Torah value. What? Why have we been put into creation other than to learn and give voice to the depth that the Bnei Sholem wove into the fabric of creation? What are we but the awareness and voice of creation? If you don't want to learn. I mean, okay, the bourgeois value of, I just, I of just learning think, and building I just building think that growing, young people, you know. I think that young people who are getting married, I don't know if they understand, or maybe they do. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know if I, let's, I don't know if I understood the um, depth of which I would be, I would receive satisfaction from raising children and and having them go to a decent school and make sure that they have a lunch and come home and see that they ate that lunch. You know, it, it's, um, I, it's... I, just, I take exception at the, at the bourgeois because I think that there's a certain criticism there, which is that, you know, like, oh, that's sort of somehow. A, no, um, I, a... I didn't mean as a criticism. I meant it more as just to say, uh, you know, the kind of picture of, of Americana, of, you know, a little house and a little, the car. Well, the... I understood but... where it was coming from, but, but. But I'm, I'm going to keep pushing. Is the reality is, is that all of humanity were concerned, individually and collectively, about giving our children a better education and, 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 a, and a full lunch. And if I can give my children a full lunch, then giving somebody else's children a full lunch in addition, we would be in a better education. We would be much better off. Yeah. And, and, and I just think that that's like a, a baseline sort of pizarro in the certain hole in our social will. I think you're right. And when I think about, for example, like uh, for some reason, Mexican uh, drug cartels are on my mind because I just heard a story about a friend of mine. A friend of mine said, yeah, yeah, he writes about these things. Just He just wrote a book on El Chapo. So, Oh, he wrote a book on El Chapo? He covered the, the whole trial for the Times. A book came out of it. It was a good book. I read it. It was, not, it was, it was fun. I would like to, uh, can I please borrow that? 
Uh, I, I love- left it. I left it in America. Oh, fooey. Okay, that I saw been, him. He uh, gave me the book. He didn't sign it. If he'd signed it, I would have kept it. But, you know. Oh my gosh! I, I brought what a lot about of stuff. Is it? Does it have also the violent stuff in it? Does it have? The oh, whole, it's, uh... it's the whole story. It's a crazy, oh. crazy story. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, Reach but I think about He'll those... send you a copy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I think about, what I think about, uh, uh, you know, when I see, well, when I see, or, or what's happening in Afghanistan now, you know, those images of this chopper, you know, uh, with a hanging person from it. And and you see you're American right you know what I mean chopper, right? what seems what seems so simple which is the basics which is to educate our children and, and to bring them to 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 a value system and and to perpetuate the act of perpetuation of of Jewish peoplehood and and I want to be specific by the way because we we're big ideologues we believe in values and Torahs but the difference I think at the end of the day between us and the Taliban at, at the risk of even comparing us because remember. There's there's no absolutism that the Taliban ascribed to that I couldn't find in the Torah. Right. There's there's no violence, there's no extremism, there's no but the difference between us is that the core mission of the Jewish people is to give voice to the life of creation. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, that will always trump the problems of the specificity of the law and, and and conflict of culture. And those are real things, and I don't mean that's always right to just ignore those, God forbid. But in the end of the day, the Jewish people are going to say, "But yeah, but does it add to life? Right? Does it give? Does it give voice to the depth of creation? Right. Oh, okay. So I might be opposed, but okay, you know, it's not all wrong, right? And, and we and, have we have and, a principle in Torah which is called v'chay bahem, yeah. bahem. Like like Torah is supposed to give you life, and 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 many times in halacha they'll say, "Well, that's not right because it doesn't ascribe to the principle of v'chay bahem. You, it's yeah. got to be a living thing, a thing that gives life." That's what the Jewish people are about. We're, you know, we're not about quashing life and, and all that kind of, you know, the, gosh, the, well, you know, death cult. The, 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 the death the, cult. Absolutely. Yeah. They are the death cult. They are the death cult. They are a rebirth of the most fundamental or one of the two most fundamental forms of, of, of Odazara, of idol worship. And many people who would hang a human being from a helicopter for anything that they've done. I don't have any other definition. Right. And the Torah tells us, by the way, yeah, like you was just saying, yeah, there are times where you have to hang a person. Yeah, but and you then respect don't, their... Right. And don't forget to take their body overnight. And, right. Because yeah, they're, they're right. still created in the image of God. That's right. Even if they themselves have destroyed that. So, so we started talking about the value of family, which leads us uh, so perfectly into the Torah portion of, of Nitzavim, in which the first verse, first, first verse, and we're talking about the book of Deuteronomy, Chapter 29, the first verse is Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. You are all gathered today. All, all of you are gathered today, all of you. There's a there's a delicious double entendre there, which is Kulchem could mean all of you people, plural, or all of you in in you are a whole. In, yeah, you're in, entirely in, present, as we say right, in, you're enti- in that's our modern right. language, right? Right. And it's like it's like you and br- bring in and the rabbis love to point this out. Bring in your your evil inclination. Bring in your 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 various parts of your heart, your various parts of your mind. Um, put them under this standing before God. I mean, it's important to remember always, especially as we approach Rosh Hashanah, that as as much as we value obedience and um, reflecting God's will in our lives, the thing that we actually have to offer uniquely 
are the places in which we deviate and struggle. You understand? The thing that the places where we are in line with the divine will and and in easily obedient are great and they're important, but they're not unique. Right? So the, the sort of command or the statement that's a command, like you're saying, is like, you no, know, you're able to bring your whole self. And that's so important in the approach to Rosh Hashanah to say, listen, I don't give myself. I know where I'm good. I know where I'm bad. I know where I'm strong. I know where I'm weak. But I bring all of me to God. Right. And I, I would also like to say that uh, I had a chance today to sit with our mutual friend at, uh, at, at late lunch. And when you even sit with a friend, <clears throat> and I want to recommend people, take time to sit with your friend. Yes. Take time to sit with your mom. Take time to sit with somebody. And then when you're in that conversation, to be fully present and to listen to that person um, and let them, let them also tell you the bad stuff. Um, I, I read a, a very small phrase about, about a chassid, uh, a Hasidic Jew, a chassid who came, who, who said about, he says, this generation of chassidim, they try to show to the Rebbe how good they are. He goes, my generation, we used to show our bad stuff. We used to yeah. show the Rebbe all of our pains and our bad thoughts and all the bad things. We used to put in front of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe was like our healer. The Rebbe was like the priest where you show your nega, you show your, your, your uh, skin blemish. lesions, your, your blemish, and he would help you through seeing your, your, your dark spot. But what I'm saying is sometimes in order to be totally present, let your like – let your friend give you his grime and, mm -hmm. and let him be able to tell you his problems, yeah. you know, or her tell you her problems, you know, yeah. and that way, that way we can actually come out and be like, well, this is a part that I'm hiding inside of myself and I, I can't face it and I don't know how to deal with it. And, and I'm embarrassed in front of God, in front of other people. So let's bring a little air into it and then we could be totally present. Yeah, and, and it's so important because nobody's kidding themselves that they're perfect and therefore, they don't believe anyone around them is. But this necessity of speaking as if everything is fine, as if everybody is good, it, it prevents us from being honest. And therefore, two things. First of all, seeking the help and resources we need to fix things. Because oftentimes, there are true problems. The resources we need lie outside of ourselves to some degree. And it also prevents us from rejoicing in... The places where we actually really are are the person we want to be, you know? Because why? Because it's poison. But I can't I can't actually tell you how proud I am of this, that, and the other thing because I'm not admitting to you that really though, you know. And so therefore, we we just water everything down. That's no, fine. How often do you ask someone how they're doing? That's fine. How are you feeling in, in the approach to Shana? No, thank God. Like, okay, <laughs> but I don't believe you. So you mentioned Rosh Hashanah, and I want to ask you a question. Is Rosh Hashanah a so-called Jewish holiday? In what sense? In the sense of like, like, like when, if I'm in America during Christmas, and it's Christmas, I know very well this is a Christian holiday, and I'm not celebrating Christmas. And so I can say to somebody, you know, season's greetings, whatever. Uh, but I know very much it's like, it's not for me, and I'm not supposed to really touch it. Um but is is it, when a Gentile knows that it's Rosh Hashanah, should he be like, "Oh, happy Rosh Hashanah to you," or do uh, we do we believe, according to our uh, tradition, 
that Rosh Hashanah is something that the Gentiles should know about, that it's part of it's part of a tradition that that all of us uh, need to face God in this time. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I can actually give you a very easy textual answer. Not that I would necessarily say happy Rosh Hashanah to anyone, because it's not, it's a mixed day, as um, maybe we can get into later. But the Mishnah says explicitly, called Baye Marom, like every single human being passes before God in judgment on this day. It has nothing to do with being Jewish. In the same way, you know, the, it's the Mishnah of the Arba Rosh Hashanah, right? The, 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 sorry, the Arba Rosh Hashanah. You know, uh, we shall know. I don't know where that word came from. Um, the the uh, these there are four different sort of beginnings of the year. On Tubishvat, there's no difference between this tree and that tree. It's the beginning of the year for all of them. So in the same way, this is a human phenomenon. So human Pesach is is one of those four sort of beginnings of the year. That's a particularly Jewish beginning of the year. But Rosh Hashanah. This is a, a, a fabric of creation, which is why, of course, what we're actually celebrating on Rosh Hashanah is not the creation of the world, right? But rather the creation of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. It's the beginning of the human story. And the human mm-hmm. story, like it or not, is, is bound up with judgment. You could leave God out of it, God forbid, right? But you could say that what makes us different from the animals is our ability for self-judgment, Right? Uh, dogs can communicate, but I promise you, no dog ever went home and said, "I didn't really say that how I wanted to." Like, what's going on with me? I'm not, you know, you, you follow, right? That's a human phenomenon. That that capacity for self judgment, for the awareness of what I intend, the ability to understand where I met that and where I did not, and then all the angst or pride that's bound up with success or failure, right? That's a human phenomenon. It's a phenomenon that begins with Ottoman Kava. And it's, and it's something which belongs to all of humanity. And in that sense, we are the keepers of that tradition, but not its owners. You understand? And, and I would say if we were more activists in our spiritual stance, which, you know, I think the time is really approaching. But if we were more activists, we would be out there saying to people, not like, the, the, the day of judgment is nigh. You know, we're not, that's in our style. But just encouraging people like, hey, you, you ever take 40 days out of your year to try to think about who you are and who you want to be, because well, there's a really four, great opportunity. Forty days is a lot. I'm, I'm, I, I think, I think, I think the point of my question was to, was to suggest that this is a great opportunity for Gentiles uh, all over the world to be like the 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 so-called Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah is approaching, but really it's my Rosh Hashanah, and Absolutely. I should think about repentance and think about who I am and, 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 and use this, use these two days, which are happening Monday night and Tuesday night, uh, all the way to Tuesday, uh, to, to uh, Wednesday evening to Wednesday evening. Right. That's what I meant to say. Thank you. So it's, it's, so it's Monday Tuesday, night, it's Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but, but Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday Wednesday. Right. Okay, good. We're Thank Jews. You. I it that. can never be simple. I apologize. No, it's just that's a condition. Right. Uh, I, I want to also say hi to Steve, who says hello from the great state of Texas. And Steve, I want you to know that uh, approximately December 6th, right after Hanukkah, uh, I will be, uh, I'm hoping to be, Bezrat Hashem, with the help of God in Texas. So I hope to see you there. And Yelena says, Amen, Vamen, Amen, Shalom from Florida with love, 
Yelena Mazaltov. I think this is my good friend Yelena. I don't know her new last name. I think this is my good old friend Yelena, who got a new it. last name and Mazaltov. And I don't know what you're doing in Florida, but wherever you're doing, whoever you are, may you be blessed. God bless you. Um, yeah. All right. So let's keep well, going. I just with... want to say the reason I mentioned the 40 days, it's actually an important part of the whole narrative, right? This is the 40 days that Moshe went up on the mountain and he came down and his face was shining. But this is the 40 days in which Moshe got that light. And, you know, um, my rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, always used to say, like, what was Moshe doing 40 days in the mountain? And he was looking in this sort of clear vision. It's a big question of what it exactly means, but it differentiates Moshe from all the prophets. So Rabbi Daniel always used to say, mira is a clear mirror. That Moshe, as opposed to the rest of the prophets, achieved the level of actually seeing himself. And once he was able to see himself clearly, he was able to bring the divine word into the world in a way in which could not be compared. And that's why I think it's important. Like, yes, take the day, take the two days, do what you can, but be aware that that um, preparation is more than half the battle. And it's not right. too late. It's not too late. And of course, you know, being Jews, it doesn't stop at Rosh Hashanah. It's got to go to Yom Kippur. If you're a chassid, it might go all the way to Hanukkah. There's, there's always more time. Yes, um, uh, I am talking to like I am concerned with the topic of of preparation, and and I, I think that I've met a I've met a bunch of people who've told me already that they don't feel very prepared this year. I've been Sometimes hearing that they, a lot from people. Yeah, I mean, I have an answer for why that is. Is it something to do with COVID? You think? Y- yes, absolutely, because I think that. That one of the primary avodas, one of the primary spiritual practices of Rosh Hashanah is casting doubt on all of our assumptions. It's like we live at a very normative assumption most of the year. Like, okay, I'm a decent person. Uh, I hope people look at Rav, themselves that way. Rav Mike, yeah? Rav Mike, I'm hearing your audio kind of funny right now. Can you maybe move your wire a little bit or, or unplug the, the, the microphone wire, your headphone microphone wire? Um, I think I'm hearing you a little bit funny. Maybe it'll come back if anybody else was hearing that- it funny. Is that any better? No. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, hang on one second. Um, I, I do recommend maybe that you uh, that you exit and come back into... All right, I'll uh, try that. All right, good. Okay, so Rev Mike is going to take leave of us for a second and hopefully uh, come right back. That means it's just me. It's just me. I'm just live with you. And it's so fun to be live with you wherever you are around the world and to talk Torah and to talk spirituality and to talk Land of Israel from the land of Israel, talk about the God of Israel. And I really want to appreciate you guys. Uh, oh, so Lou says you were hearing it good on this end. Oh, thank you, Lou. Um, I'm sorry then. I should have waited for your comment because uh, it was sounding like horrible to me. <laughs> so I was hearing it crazy. It sounded almost devilish, which which is not something that Rav Mike uh, is one to do. Uh, but let's bring him back in. All right, Rav Mike. Yes. Okay. Check the mic. Check the mic. How's yeah, that? sounds good to me. Okay. okay um, but but Lou Lou said that you were sounding just fine. But Lou's to on me, my team. Right. But to me, you were sounding almost devilish. That's what I said. I, I don't have know. That so... I don't let it out much, except for my kids. <laughs> um, but anyway, what, what I was saying is that I think that a lot of it is because of the uncertainty. Like there's a there's a big you know like there's a big theme of Hashanah: who will live, who will die. Who me? Who by fire? Who by water? Who by flood? Etc. And and that and often on Rosh Hashanah that comes crashing in on us the sort of insecurity, what I call in my counseling practice, the undermining of the normative assumption 
the people we love will always be there. The things that we rely upon are indeed trustworthy, etc. And sometimes life teaches us otherwise. We've been now for almost two years in a state of prolonged uncertainty. And I feel like people are like, well, I've been living in Rosh Hashanah every day. Like you know, when I'm supposed to be prepared for some big event. That's uh, that's the, my read on a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 that, that's a good point. Uh, but and also maybe a more simple point, which is the normative synagogue practices are, are out of flux and you just, uh, you're just, just not in the, you know, you, you know, you're just not in the, in the, I know myself, I'm in not the structure. In the yeah. Not in the structure. Uh, I want you, I wanted to post this uh, comment by Hin, by Hinda who says the sound is very good here. Yet at times the podcasts have had Rabbi Fleischer sounding very loud and Rabbi Foyer sounding very low and far. And so I, you're I the only you person my... in my life who is louder than me, which is why I love okay. you. <laughs> Listen, speaking about love, speaking of love, uh-huh. uh, this Torah portion Nitzavim has in it a section that I'd like to touch on. And maybe this is our, our last part, but I, I very much want to touch on the famous section here, which is about Teshuvah. Oh, yeah. Repentance. And yet at the same time, that repentance is bound up with. The, the sin is bound up with exile, the punishment of exile, and then the repentance is bound up with the consciousness of return, return to the land, yes. that God will ingather you as a, as a, I don't want to say token, as a, as a, as a, uh, a well, yeah, Expression. as an, an act, an, an act of love. An act of forgiveness is the ingathering of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes you're in America and it doesn't feel like a punishment at all. And I don't, I don't, and I, when I'm speaking out there with friends uh, living outside of the land of Israel, I'm not telling them it's a punishment uh, because, because that's not how they feel subjectively. That's not how they experience it. And also, it's not a way to really talk with people to tell them that your state of affairs is a punishment. Um, and and at the same time, it's a punishment in the sense that being far from God, being far from our land, being far from Yerushalayim is a distance. And that distance, when you love, then you want to be close. So I want to tell you, Rav Mike Foyer, I get asked a lot of times by all kinds of Jews, they say to me, Yishai, where does it say in the Torah that one should make Aliyah and live in the land of Israel? So I always say to them, there's many verses, but the central one goes like this. Love Hashem, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your worldly possessions. That's the central one of, of, of wanting to live in the land of Israel. Just, just wanting that close, closeness to God. That's the central that's the central command, uh, and and people you know appreciate that. But in this Torah portion, we have this idea. Here it is, um, um, verse chapter thirty, book of Deuteronomy, book of Devarim, Lamed, verse Gimel, verse three. And Hashem shall return to you. And he or or Hashem shall return or return your, your turn your dispersion. 
You're right, but there's a part You're of it that's also God is, and there's other parts of this which is like God returns to you, and then He's going to return your uh, sherit. You know, you know, have you been in a synagogue called Sherith, Sherith sure. Israel? You know, yeah. your your um, what's what's the word sherit? Remnant. Uh, remnant. Your remnant. But in this case, your uh, the the folks that are outside the land, the dispersed ones, and he'll and he'll have mercy upon you, and he'll return and and. Gather and gather you. you from all the nations which God has sent you there. Uh, has well, God has scattered sent you, there. you. Scattered you. And one way, one way to understand that is, is that it's a punishment. The Gemara also goes out and says exile is also a way to find those missing sparks that have been spread out and find those converts and other things that we need to, to gather. But just I just want to riff off of that, this, this idea of repentance and the connection of that, which is so overt, to, to the return to the land of Israel. I mean, there's a very important foundation in Torah altogether in this statement, which is that we are deep believers that one's inner life will actually express itself in the physical fabric of creation on a personal level and certainly on a national level, right? That, 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 that our actions and our attitudes express themselves not only in our private lives, but also in the divine story, which unfolds in creation. So what's God saying? It's like, listen, it's going to be hard. And, and you, you left out, you were kind. You left out what happened is that is this a, when, it, when all these things come upon you, the, the blessing and the curse, et cetera, I mean, we're, we're, we're after this whole thing where God says, if you do right, I'll take care of you. But if you don't, oy voy. And last week, the whole litany of curses. And now Moshe is saying, listen, I know you're not going to do right. I know it's not going to happen. Which is tough. Maybe we can speak about that. But leaving it aside, you know, but after that all happens, when you decide what's right in your heart, the world will respond. And it's just it's just so important to understand that 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 chuva, the, the act of repentance and return, is not just an internal state of gosh, I, I know what's right and I'm gonna I'm I'm resolving to do what's right. It's a responsiveness of creation. That, I would say, is the special blessing and curse that Am Yisrael has been given, is that the world will punish us when we do wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, this is the prophet Amos says, right, you amongst all the nations have I chosen, or all the families of the world, right? therefore I will punish you for your sins. Right? And that sounds awful at the same time. If God didn't punish us for our sins, we have been lost from the stage of the world long ago. Because it's only through that that we know where the boundaries of proper behavior are. And the, the, the converse is true here as well. That when we decide that indeed we want to do what's right, then God responds and brings us home. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and again, not again, and, and, and yet the most moving part of it all is that these words about God's mercy to ingather us is happening in our time. Uh, well, I, one time, one time, one time when I was making Aliyah, the very day that I was making Aliyah, a few days before I was making Aliyah, I had, I made a party at J2 Pizza in Manhattan. Uh-huh. And, and, and I had a car there. I don't remember which car it was. And I parked at J2 Pizza outside and a, 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 a Satmer Chassid parked right, right behind me. And we came out of the cars at the same time. And I said, Shalom Aleichem, Rabid. He says to me, "No, so what are you doing here?" So I told him, "You know, I'm, you know, I'm making a liyah, I'm making a party here." He says, 
Yeah, but the uh, but the Medina, <laughs> but the state of Israel. I said to him, "Listen, forget it." I said to him, "The Medina is only a keli; it's only a vessel for Am Yisrael to come to Eretz Yisrael." That's right. Which, <laughs> by the like, way, means we have a lot of work to do. But right, he said, "He said you're right." I never forgot that that really happened. It was it was an amazing thing. Anyway, um, a few very important questions from folks listening around the world. So. Um, so Gerard Lemon says, how does one set apart Rosh Hashanah when others all around them want to have nothing to do with the biblical holidays? That's a very, I'm guessing, that's I'm guessing that Gerard is a non-Jewish. Okay. Just from the formulation of the question. So, yeah. and, which is a beautiful formulation. So what is your recommendation Rav Mike Foyer for Gerard Lemon? Well, first of all, the, the invitation and the opportunity to take an accounting of one's self, right? This image that the sages are very enamored of that, that the, that the book of life and the opposite, God forbid, are open before God in this moment, right? And, and that there's a sense of judgment. It doesn't mean that we're sort of a passive um, object of God saying, well, you know, it's too late now. Like I got my accounts and basically like, you're like, when I give my taxes to my accountant, it's either I'm going to get a return or I owe money. No, that's not what's happening. What's happening right now is, is you have an opportunity to decide, am I a good person who sometimes does bad things? But, or am I a bad person Mike, who occasionally does Mike, what's right? Yeah? But Rev Mike, he's, he's asking you a technical question here. No, but the technical question is exactly that. It's you need to just plug yourself into that narrative. And you walk with God. No. He's you understand okay, that this is what's happening. Fine. Fine. But he's talking about a house where there's a big screen TV and other people are watching the news or they're watching... Family feud. I mean, listen. I'm. A, you know me. I'm an. I'm an. I'm an absolutist in the sense your consciousness belongs to you, right? And 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 if and if on a day like this, when people who I hope you at least believe believe what they're saying, if not trust that it's actually true, are telling you that this is a very critical opportunity. If you can't manage to carve out this time within yourself first, and the experience I have is that if you find that time and space and and solidity within yourself, then in the long run, the situation around you will change in response. Mm -hmm. Good. Don't good. look. Lo, don't look to others to change in response. Right. Ten minutes alone of quiet and asking, "What kind of life do I want to have in this coming year?" is a, is a fulfillment of what this day offers in its greatest sense. No, fine, but that's where it begins. Good. Uh, my recommendation to Gerard is like this. First thing, get the right equipment. You need the right tools for the right job. And I highly recommend that you go to artscroll.com, get yourself uh, a now, – now be careful. There's the regular prayer book in, Eng in, Hebrew, in English, in Yiddish called Sidur. No, in Hebrew called Sidur. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, like a sitter, you know, I was like sitter. But, yeah. uh, but get yourself a Art Scroll Sidur. But in this case, for Rosh Hashanah, you need a special Rosh Hashanah thing we call a machzor. A Rosh Hashanah machzor is a great set. I always recommend people get a machzor set. Get yourself a machzor set. Um, uh, it's going to ask you which nusach, which, uh, which style. Yeah, which sort of cultural uh, litur liturgy. Right. I use, I use, uh, uh, I use Sfard. Sfard. That's what I use. Uh, other people use Ashkenaz and and, and Edota Mizrach. I don't know. I can't specifically talk to you, but find the one that you like for one reason or another. Have that at home. Order it now. Make sure that it gets to your house or go to, if you have a local bookshop that, that sells these things, pick it up. The other thing is make yourself a space in the house 
if your house is full of people who don't care about this at all, when I was a kid in my house in New Jersey, my, my parents' house, I always looked for a place to pray. And the, the place that I found that, that was the most conducive was the laundry room. And now yeah. I don't know if I would recommend that today. My father kept the laundry room very, uh, very, uh, uh, very, very, very clean and, 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 you know, without any, like, too much dirty laundry. But the point is, it was just, just for, for various reasons, it was the place for me. Find, the, find the place. Find the, find the room. Find the closet with a light in it. Find the, find the room. Go to the garage. Go to the basement. Go outside in the backyard if the temperature permits it. Find the place. Find the place where you can say these things. And I agree with Rev. Mike Foyer very much, which is when you make these, when you say these things, when you make these things part of your personal environment, they become part of the reality around you in time. So I agree with yeah. that very much. Yeah, it takes some uh, work. Yeah. Okay, great. I just I'm going to read these last two comments here. Uh, uh, Lou, our, our faithful producer, says, "Yisha, I believe you have softened your approach regarding Aliyah over the years. Of course, we'll you want to read you that. to make Aliyah, but your attitude has softened." Uh, just just one point, which is maybe uh, apropos to Rosh Hashanah, which is to bless people and not to curse people. Yeah. To look kindly upon people, to yeah. welcome people. And as Rav Mike would say, it's an invitation. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I've also softened in the sense that I do believe that all of Amisra belongs in Eretz Israel. That being said, I wouldn't presume to judge the opportunities a person is presented with or the challenges in which, which they face, or by the way, what their soul's mission is. Right? It's a, you know, so like the, the general idea that Amisra belongs in Eretz Israel has to be fit to every person's particular life and mission. You know, they tell a story that, about Rav Yehuda that there was a, a well-known educator in England, Jewish educator, who once visited Rav Yehuda. He was in, in Israel visiting in the 80s, you know, and maybe earlier in the 70s, and asked Rav Yehuda, I've heard you say that every Jew should make Aliyah. He's like, I'm an educator. I'm doing incredible work and Zionist work, etc. Would you really think I should come here and I don't speak the language? I'm just going to do nothing. He said, make Aliyah, and then you can ask me the question. Right. <laughs> so, so the guy goes home. 10, 15 years later, he make, indeed makes Aliyah. He comes back to Ratzviyuda. And he says, "New no, Rabbi, you remember who I am? He says, I absolutely remember who you are. He says, do you remember my question? He says, of course I remember your question. He says, what's the answer now? He says, now you can go to Shlichut. <laughs> now you can, go out, you can go out into the world. Meaning, the question is, where is your center? Right. Where is your center? The work oh, you have to start. do belongs to your soul. But, but, but a Jew needs to understand where their center is. Mm-hmm. Well, one Jew that really did know the center uh, was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And Hinda Blass writes, today was the headstone laying for Rabbi Sachs. I did not know that. Uh, and he was a hmm. great man. In many ways, I, I really think he was the head of the exile, the exilarch. The, yeah, he spoke about that uh, during his life yeah. many times. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and so, I agree uh, with him. yeah, yeah. He was the, the light of the exile. I have some ideas about who, who that person may be today. But uh, we'll keep that. Uh, we'll keep that hidden. hidden. Yeah, we'll keep that hidden. We don't want to. We don't want to tell everybody who the head of the exile is. You don't want to put any uh, pressure on that person. That's right. That's right. Rev. Mike Foyer, uh, I really want to thank thank you for your time, and uh, I really appreciate the session today because I think a lot of people really are looking for a boost um, to to push them into Rosh Hashanah, uh, head held high, uh, and 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 spiritually, you know, how should we say? Strong and and even though submiss submissive to God's will, accepting God's will, but at the same time, 
you know, like, like, like feeling that they worked hard to get there. They want to, uh, they want to grow spiritually. So I really want to thank you for your time today. Well, I'll make a, a shameless plug that I'm going to actually, God willing, make a podcast tomorrow on crowning God King and how that relates. That's a primary avoda spiritual practice of Rosh Hashanah on the personal and on the national level. God willing, it's going to come out tomorrow. So people should keep Great. their eye out. That's right. Absolutely. And that's a Jewish story.co. Uh, and also, also Rav Mike, Facebook. Yep. That's right. Rav Mike. Uh, dot com. Yeah. And, and uh, can be reached at Rav Mike foyer at gmail.com. Is that right? That's true. That is true. Okay. So, so great ways to, to reach out and connect. Um, and uh, Allison says, Rabbi Sachs is greatly missed here in the UK. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Right. Uh, so if we could, if we can fill a tiny, tiniest uh, of of the kind of talk that he would give uh, before Rosh Hashanah, that's awesome. I also want to thank the Land of Israel Network uh, for hosting us uh, on the podcast system. I also want to thank uh, Tabitha, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, and I also want to specifically thank Lou today for hanging out with us. Uh, and helping us uh, master the sound and make it happen. Game so thank balance. you very much. That's the balance. We're looking for balance. At the, I was at men's yoga yesterday. We spent like five minutes on trying to find center. And then he's like, this is a religious Jew, and this is an all men's yoga. And he's like, I've been working for 10 years and trying to find center. I was like, <laughs> wow. That's like, You're like, I don't have that kind of time. Can we move right, on? I don't know. I was like, <laughs> I never even gave a thought to this. But there, that's yoga for you. Uh, any case, uh, Rav Mike Foyer, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, and Hinda says, she says, Toda for to all for making this possible. Uh, amen. And we want to wish you a Shana Tova and a, a uh, Ktiva V'chatimatova. Amen. 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 All right, Rav Mike and everybody, Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shana Tova. Thanks for being with us. Lots of love, lots of blessings. Thank you to the technology which made it happen, even though the regular uh, network systems were, were offline. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Hashem, for giving us. That's right. And thank you, Hashem, uh, for giving us the opportunity to broadcast his great word from his great land, from his great city uh, to the world. God bless you all. Stay tuned. Stay calm. Stay connected. Stay part of the story wherever you are. And shalom. All right, folks. Uh, That was Rav Mike Foyer. Now let's get to Michael Oren, Ambassador Michael Oren, Dr. Michael Oren, amazing historian, amazing person, and he joined me in Chevron. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, and I'm in Hebron, which is where I'm often found, as you know. Uh, I have a great privilege of working here and bringing a lot of good people to the Maratha Machpelah. And from time to time, uh, Dr. Michael Oren gives me a ring and he says he's coming in with some important people. And do, we, do I have time for him? And I always make time for him because he's one of my uh, favorite personalities here in Israel, especially after I read his book, Ally, which really touched me in many ways, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that. Uh, but Michael Oren has been a Knesset member. He's also been Israel's uh, ambassador to the United States under Netanyahu in the Obama years, and that's what the book Ally is about, a fascinating book. Uh, he's also been a deputy minister in the prime minister's office, a uh, Knesset member, as I said. He's held important positions, but at heart, he's also a historian. Uh, and he's taught at Harvard and Yale and Georgetown and put out uh, great books 
uh, about also about Christian Jewish relations in the United States. And so he's a very interesting personality uh, of his life. And it really, the book Ally outlines how he really started from a very young age having a dream of, of serving Israel, of, of fighting in its army, and also being an ambassador, which he ended up being. Dr. Michael Oren, thanks so much for joining me today. And Ambassador Oren is also a correct. It's always good to be with you, Shai. Really, thank you for hosting me here in Chevron. I love hosting you here in Chevron. And um, if I could ask you to sit a tad closer to me, thank you because of all the noise around us. Let's, let's start first thing with where we are today. When you were ambassador, one of the things that you were concerned about and your prime minister, uh, Netanyahu, was very concerned about uh, was the Iran nuclear program. And it's back on the scene right now. We see the march of Iran through Iraq, their influence in Syria, their influence in Yemen. We see them even their influence in South America. We see now even more hardliners joining. And we see that like the Obama administration, the Biden administration seems to be making overtures towards Iran and certainly loosening the leash. So what's your perspective on the situation right now, which is back on the on the front of the um, uh, of today's uh, issues. Thank you, Shai. There's only one worse thing than being a false prophet, and that's being a, an accurate prophet. Uh, and back in 2015, when we were fighting against what became known as the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, we predicted that the deal would not, as its champions claimed, uh, make Iran into a responsible regional power. That Iran would take the hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions relief and in business deals, and they wouldn't build schools and hospitals. They'd pour that money into terror. They'd pour that money into, into buying and building tens of thousands of more rockets that could be fired at Israel. We warned that Iran, uh, that the deal would not uh, block path, uh, Iran's path to the bomb, would actually pave Iraq's path to the bomb, uh, that Iraq, Iran could decide within a moment's notice, practically, to just throw off all the constraints of the JCPOA and start enriching uranium uh, to weapons grade. And we also warned that we didn't believe that Iran had ever stopped working on a warhead, not just enriching uranium, but making a warhead in which to make, to, to, to fill a warhead. And it turns out that uh, due to the courageousness of our courage of our, of our Mossad agents, we were able to get our hands on a, uh, on a uh, nuclear archive from Tehran that proved that Iran, guess what, was still working on a warhead. Basically, everything we predicted that was wrong and disastrous and potentially um, lethal uh, about the Iran nuclear deal uh, came true. And so when we watch the United States now uh, trying so assiduously to renew that deal, um, we're stunned. We're shocked because the underlying uh, assumptions of the deal uh, have all been disproven and disproven in the most uh, flagrant way. So it is with great dismay. Now, having said all that, the Biden administration appears set on renewing it. And the only thing that's pre preventing the renewal of the deal is the Iranians themselves, who think they can hold out for even better terms by enriching uranium up to now 60 percent, which is close to weapons grade. Um, and I think after the aftermath of, the, of Prime Minister Bennett's recent uh, trip to Washington, I think that sense that uh, what's holding up this negotiation is not the United States, but the regime in Tehran. Um, and that could change any day now. So Israel has to prepare itself for dealing with Iran uh, by itself. Um, I personally believe it should be bet earlier than later, because Iran is only getting stronger. Um, and it would be very good if we could procure from the United States uh, some of the military capabilities that we do not have. We do not have, for example, strategic bombers. And um, it's very important to get understandings from the United States. 
what will be America's position uh, if and when Israel has to act alone against Iran? Will America provide us with military supplies, with diplomatic and legal backing? Uh, these are the kind of understandings that we should be seeking right now. Just to make it clear, you just mentioned you know, strategic bombers, something that would help us f- maybe potentially do an act against a, a nuclear Iran. That's something that we don't have. And you were calling, you told me even under the Trump administration and before that for the sale of these bombers to Israel. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement about how the future is going to look. I, I wanted to lease them. <laughs> I didn't mean to say them. And even get, maybe have some of our, our flight crews train on them. Uh, the United States was against it. Um, but I think that was if, if, if we could have access to strategic bombers, and I think maybe your listeners should know that we don't have strategic bombers. We have very small bombers. An F-15, an F-16, an F-35, at the end of the day, are very small tactical fighters that can fly relatively short distances with a small ta- payload. Whereas a, a strategic bomber, a B-1, B-2, flies at 50,000 feet in the air and can go around the world uh, carrying a 50,000-pound bomb. I think if the Iranians knew that we had that type of capability, they'd think twice about trying to break out to make a nuclear weapon. Let me uh, do a sharp turn. We don't have a lot of time, so let me sharp turn to something else. You're actually in the running right now for uh, being the head of the Jewish agency, the Sukhnuta Yudit, the Jewish agency, a very huge organization, uh, which is... Israel's face to the diaspora. Uh, one of the things that you've cultivated in your career is balancing liberalism, traditional liberalism, with a clear love of the state and land of Israel uh, without, with no compromises on, on that side. I Meaning to say a strong Zionist particularist identity and at the same time an internationalist, global, universal identity. Uh, and you've really walked between the drops. And I've heard people say about you that you're too right-wing. And other people say you're too left-wing. Uh, and, and in one sense, that makes you a perfect candidate uh, for the Jewish agency, which is, which is uh, tasked with connecting to the Jewish world at large. Uh, you have some stiff competition uh, in, in other great uh, Jewish leaders. Uh, but tell me a little bit about this run for the Jewish agency. Is that something that's important to you, something that's in your heart? Um, and tell me about the process. Well, it's, it, it basically is the, the culmination of, of a life's work of uh, involvement and service to the Jewish people. And I don't mean just the Jewish people of the state of Israel, the Jewish people worldwide in building diaspora-Israel relations, um, in, and, in working for Aliyah, uh, first for Jews from the former Soviet Union, from Ethiopia, uh, from the United States and Europe uh, and France. Um, you know, it's my personal history. I made Aliyah through the Jewish Agency. I was in an absorption center for the Jewish Agency. I was a lone soldier and was supported by the Jewish Agency. I actually established the Lone Soldier Caucus in the Knesset and worked with the Jewish Agency. I am on the board of the Jewish Agency's uh, overseeing, oversight committee for Shlichim abroad. Um, I was Israel's representative on the Birthright Committee. Uh, it's, it's one involvement with the Jewish agency after another, so I know it from the inside out. And all of these involvements reflect my deep commitment to, to Jewish unity, even though we are quite diverse. Our, our, our strength is actually in our diversity today. But it's also a keen awareness, Yishai, that we are at a, a turning point. Um, we're at an inflection point where uh, the Jewish people um, stands to lose great numbers of young Jews, particularly in the United States, who uh, feel alienated from the Jewish identity, uh, from the Jewish people, from the Jewish state. And we have to do a much, much better job uh, of reaching out to them uh, with a clear message about Israel, 
Um, we have to reach out to them where they are because they're not necessarily in Shoal or they're not necessarily in a Jewish organization. They may be on TikTok. They may be on Instagram. We have to go find them. Um, and we have to do this literally under fire. What's the under fire? We're, we're doing this at a time of, of rising anti-Semitism. So while bringing Jews in, we have to defend the anti-Semites off. I have very strong opinions about the fight on anti-Semitism. Um, I am proud, for example, of uh, that the, uh, the actions that are underway now in eight states in the United States to uh, sanction Ben and Jerry's ice cream for their boycott uh, of Israel. Uh, in those eight states, they've adopted legislation that I spearheaded back at the end of 2013. With, it, with actually taking hold of the old Carter administration era uh, uh, legislation against the Arab boycott. And I, I proposed to uh, several congressmen that we then attack, we, we update that legislation to include uh, boycotts of Israel, uh, precisely like Ben and Jerry's. And some 26 states have now voted on it. Eight are acting against the ice cream maker as we speak. Uh, and uh, I think that's the way we have to think about fighting anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism with me, it's no, it's no prisoners. There's no compromises. Um, you want to talk about being right-wing? I'm right-wing in the fight against anti-Semitism. And, um, and I also think we have to think out of the box, like legislation in these states. I was thinking out of the box. And I know some of the people in the, in the lower rungs who helped write that legislation and, and, and make it happen, and it's being enacted right now at this moment. As I said before, we don't have a lot of time, so I just wanted to ask you this personal question, which I was fascinated by. The book Ally was a great book and it was uh, if you want to read about the Obama administration and it's and, and, and the tensions there between Obama and Israel and how to kind of handle in the middle that's the book Ally even the cover is great this like Star of Israel and uh, folded. that folded right on top of it but what I wanted to know is how did you put it out so fast? Were you writing it throughout? Like, I was interested in the technique because it came out soon after your job was, was, was finished there. I was like, how did he get it out so fast? It, to me, it's second, it's, it's firsted only by uh, Yehuda Avner's The Prime Ministers. It's to me right in that line uh, of books, a real, a real personal account of, of high-level politics, but that's what I wanted to ask you. Explain to me the technique of how you wrote it. Well, it, it's different than the technique that I write any other books, because I write, I write fiction, non-fiction. Um, in writing fiction, my, fiction, my non-fiction books, my history books, uh, Six Days of War, Power, Faith, and Fantasy, take about four years. You have to build a, an extensive database, um, and you have to check your sources, and you go do research all over the world. This was very different. Um, I, had a te- I had kept an extensive diary throughout my time in, in Washington, and it proved invaluable. It almost the book almost wrote itself in that way. T- tell me about your diary. T- explain to me what does that look like. I'd come home for like three hours of sleep at night, and I'd force myself before I went to sleep to sit down and, and, and wrote write what happened during the day. On what? And it's interesting yeah, because you know, <laughs> on what as an I, I, okay as an historian, I always say the job of an historian is 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 a decision maker. Okay, because for there are a hundred different facts that you can put into a book. But you have to choose one because you can't put a hundred in. And I always want you want to choose the one that is a reflective of all the others, but also is you know a little picante, as we say in Hebrew. It's interesting, keeps the reader interesting. And um, and that was the true in my diary. I wanted to write those things that um, that other people didn't see, and and observations. So I gave, I'll just give you an example off the top of my head because there, there are, of course, thousands of them. But every time, very often when I would go into the White House with a, an Israeli official, they'd look around at the decor, the decor of the White House. You know what the White House is decorated with? 
It's decorated with pictures of Native Americans and buffalo. And the Israelis would look at me and say, I don't get it. Why do they have on the wall everybody, everything they killed? <laughs> now, an American would never think that, okay? Or sitting with Ehud Barak, and he's, he keeps on insisting on having a four-eyed discussion with the president. And I'd say, Ehud, you know, four-eyed in English is a bad thing you say with somebody with glasses. You call them a four-eyed. He says, really? What, what, do you say? what do you say in English? I said, you say a person-to-person, face-to-face interview, or one-on-one interview. Okay, I got it. Ehud Barak goes into the White House, and I would like to have a full-eyed conversation. <laughs> so that kind of thing I would write down in my diary. But it's also showing you a different way of a political culture, which is the Israeli culture's, political culture is very, very different. And, um, you know, um, it, Israeli, an Israeli politician, even one who's very from will never talk about his faith in God. Not publicly. But an American politician, even if he is complete, you know, apostate, will talk about his faith in God. I mean, Trump used to talk about his faith in God all the time. So it's a different political culture. So that was just one of the many things I was interested in. I was also interested in, as we say, the tachlis, what was going on behind the scenes in negotiations, what was going on in the Iran nuclear deal. Um, And this was, at the end of the day, it's not a funny book. It's a tough book. It's a very sad book. It's about, uh, you know, I'd given, dedicated my life to this alliance. I felt myself very much, you know, almost physically a part of this alliance. And I felt myself physically torn apart as America and Israel, particularly under the Obama years, uh, began to move apart. Um, and it was, it, it's, it's, a, it's an arduous tale. It's, um, I also wrote the book, it means be strange, to, um, given who we are. I wrote the book for liberal Jewish America. I wanted to engage them in a conversation. Um, why is it that American Jewish journalists are the most critical of Israel? Of all the journalists I know, together. What is that about? Um, and liberal America did not want to engage with that book. That was the big disappointment. Um, conservatives embraced it, but it wasn't written for them. <laughs> you, know, you didn't have to convince them of our arguments. That was, I was trying to reach out to people who didn't agree with our arguments. And uh, so at the end of the day, there's also a lot of frustration there. Um, you asked me how quick uh, I've been a writer all my life I write fast Okay, uh, that's one I had the diary that's two but the big issue was I needed the book to come out in June of 2015 because the nuclear deal was going to be uh, voted on in the coming months and I needed for the book to be part of the, uh, part of the debate Someone, they had to know our story Can you mind? nobody knew our story and um, you know, they, knew, they knew the administration's story very well and the, the spin that the administration put on our stories, you know, somehow. Um, someone had to set the record straight and they had to do it before the vote and the vote came in September. Dr. Michael Oren, from Iran to anti-Semitism to uh, American Jews and Jewish relations with the diaspora from here to Israel uh, and now uh, in the running uh, of the head of the Jewish agency. And now in Hebron. That's right, and now in Hebron, where it all begins. Times, I've been many times, and I love Hebron. And Hebron is, is, the, is the heart of the Jewish people. And uh, someone who has participated in, in negotiations with the Palestinians and been involved in the, in the peace process. Hebron um, was never, can never, will never be on any negotiating table. Um, I was driving out here with some friends from Jaffa this morning, and I said, you know, our justification... Um, for living 
in, in Jaffa is the exact same justification we have for living in Hebron. Without Hebron, we actually have no justification for living in Jaffa. And I, that is, that is uh, as they say, that is inscribed on my flag, as they say in Hebrew. And uh, it'll never change. Thank you very much, and God bless you. And you're absolutely right. We did, we did. I saw today you were touched, and your friends that you brought today were touched by the tomb of the forefathers and mothers, the couples, the founding, the, what I call now the first family of Israel, the first family of Israel. Dr. Michael Oren, uh, author, I highly recommend, from a personal recommendation, the book Ally. It's a must for understanding uh, all these tensions and, and really how real politics, how real international diplomacy happens. Thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, and I do want to thank the sponsors of the show who make it happen, like our good friends at Prohibition Pickle. Those guys make great pickles, great Shabbos stuff, um, uh, chopped liver that I love, uh, hot sauces, all kinds of stuff like that. It makes it makes here this region, Gush Etzion, and Jerusalem, uh, and Judea, and, and wherever they're sending out these days, it makes Shabbos just that much better. And also weekdays, you just go in there, have a shot, eat a little bit of herring, and uh, you're good to go. You're, you're strong again. That's Prohibition Pickle. Check out their uh, Facebook page. Check out their Instagram page. They do a great job, not just in food, but also in aesthetics. So check out Prohibition Pickle. They're big friends of our show. Uh, and also, uh, JewishPress.com puts out our show every single week, and they do a great job uh, of promoting our stuff, but also really telling the story of Israel and the Jewish people in a great way, including their wonderful email, which is called Jewish Express. I highly recommend it. I read it myself. So that's JewishPress.com. And of course, the Jewish community of Hebron. Uh, Hebron is where the tomb of the forefathers and mothers is. And that is uh, the community that I have the honor to work for. And I'm heading there right now, actually. And I'm going to be addressing the the police today at a pre-Rosh Hashanah party. But the point is, is that Hebron and the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs uh, is is the first home of the Jewish people. And we've got to keep it strong through Hebron Fund, hebronfund.org. Today's show is also uh, sponsored. No, today's show is also dedicated uh, to the memory of my mother-in-law, Malka's mom, Leah, uh, or Lorianne, who passed away uh, years ago, and we remember her so fondly and so well, and she, she passed away 15 years ago, uh, and we miss her so much, and uh, my little studio uh, is called the Lorianne Bernath Studios uh, in my room there, and before Rosh Hashanah, it's right before when she passed away, is when we always mark her, her passing and remember her, remember her life. She was a big fighter for Israel. Uh, she did that with all of her heart. She really, she was the first on the, you know, the, the, the internet as it just began uh, to fight for Israel. So, Lorian Bernath, Leah, your memory is important to us and, and we mark it today on the show, on the Ishai Fleischer Show. And, and finally, sadly, um, we also have to dedicate the show today to uh, Bar-El Shmueli, the 21-year-old, 21-year-old uh, staff sergeant at uh, the border police who was in an altercation in Gaza and was shot and he held out for nine days and succumbed to his wounds. Uh, that itself is a very painful uh, story here in Israel and the whole country is mourning him. Uh, and so Bar-El Shmueli, uh, thank you for your service you were an amazing guy and, and, a, and a good-looking guy and a strong guy and strong for your family and friends. Uh, and sadly, uh, you, were, you, you, you died in the line of action, uh, in the line of fire in action. I think things could have been done better to prevent your death. Uh, but still, 
Uh, we honor you as, as a fallen hero uh, of the Jewish state and will commemorate your loss uh, this coming Yom HaZikaron, uh, Memorial Day. In the meantime, this show is dedicated to you, our brother, our hero, and may you rest in peace. Okay, that was awesome to be with Michael Oren in Hebron. He is a powerhouse, and we wish him lots of success in getting that position at the, the head of the Jewish agency. And with that, we bid you adieu, and we thank you very much for joining us. Lots of love, lots of blessings. Maka Fleischer is with me again here. Maka, thank you so much for blessing everybody in the beginning of the show. Any other blessings do you have for everybody? Oh, man. Well, I want to I wanna bless you with the blessing that you're supposed to bless people before uh, Rosh Hashanah is Gmar Chatima Tova. That you should have uh, a, the, the end signing should be a good signing. And we're really hoping to get into the good book, the book of life. That is the, that is the biggest blessing, right? Isha, you're always saying that just to be alive is really the biggest blessing. And, and, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah is, is a time to take stock and it's so easy to turn Rosh Hashanah into like an, an apples and honey holiday. And I love that. I'm all about the apples and honey and the themes and the cute stuff and the simanim and like being happy. And Rosh Hashanah is a happy holiday. You should be happy. But it's also like the end of the year, the beginning of a year and a, and a time of, of serious, serious introspection about who you've been this last year and who you want to be in the coming year. Um, and a day that we're, we judge ourselves and a day that, that Hashem judges us. And uh, I really pray and I hope for all of you, uh, for me, definitely, and for all of you, um, that we have good judgments and that we have what to be proud of and that our merits outweigh our demerits and that we'll have a chance to uh, try again in the coming year. Amen. And of course, you always say it's the day where we elect God and crown him king, right, Malka? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. You know, it feels like you have no voice in this world sometimes. You have no control over who has control over you. But... It's election day, and you can still vote. And I place my vote for the KBH. Put KBH in the ballot box. Kadosh Baruch Hu. All right. And I also want to specifically bless the folks that make this show happen. Tabitha, Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, uh, Lou, and Yocheved. All those folks get the show out to the world. And I want to bless you wherever you are. Stay tuned. Stay connected. Please visit com for the latest articles. I was on Fox. I was on TBN. I was on all kinds of stuff. You can check it out at com. And, of course, check out our support page, which just means that you vote uh, for continued uh, efforts uh, that we make uh, here together with you uh, in building up the land of Israel and bringing God's presence closer to this world by drawing him down into the land, uh, the good land of Israel, and especially Yerushalayim, Hebron, and the holy cities. God bless you folks wherever you are. Lots of love, lots of good things, and lots and lots of blessings from the land of blessings, and shalom. The Land of Israel Fellowship is ready to usher in the Hebrew New Year with wisdom and faith. Join Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel for the weekly online fellowship. Like-minded people from around the globe seeking to learn Torah from Judea. A new cycle, a new world. To register, click on thelandofisrael.com 
slash fellowship.